Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Okay, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. It is 7.06. We have the Eskimos game coming up on Friday night. 5.30 for the countdown to kick off. Morley Scott, Dave Campbell, Brendan Ulrich from the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. The game will start at 7. The Eskimos close out this home-and-home against the Toronto Argos. Not a huge fan of the home-and-homes in a uh, nine-team league. I guess the Labor Day home-and-home is kind of traditional, but uh, I don't know why we need to see it against these teams. Anyway, another one of my little uh, pet peeves. Roger Federer eliminated from Wimbledon. He lost to Kevin Anderson of South Africa. The fifth set, 13-11, the score. They don't go to a tiebreak in the fifth set at Wimbledon. 13-11, Anderson beat Federer. Milos Raonic, the Canadian, losing to John Isner in the quarterfinal. Novak Djokovic winning today, so he moves on as well. Bit of a hockey note for you. Detroit Red Wings, two-year deal for Anthony Mantha, $6.6 million. He was uh, an RFA, 23 years old led the Wings with 24 goals last season, wound up with uh, 48 points. Blue Jays, tough one. While they started hot, it's been tough ever since, losing 6 nothing to the Atlanta Braves in the bottom of the fifth. So we had Craig Forrest on the show, great goalkeeper for Canada, played in the English Premier League, like a true like, th- this guy's a Canadian soccer legend, in my mind, now an analyst for Sportsnet. Uh, he's picking France, as I-, I think most people will, but we were talking about that 1994 game, Canada barely misses out on going to the World Cup. They play Brazil in a friendly at Commonwealth Stadium right before the World Cup, and it's a 1-1 draw. And that, along with the Gold Cup win, I suppose, six six years later, like those are the two biggest moments in Canadian men's soccer. I, I mentioned the women's team, totally different. Now, the women's field is not as deep internationally, but still, you have to give Canada credit. Christine Sinclair, one of the all-time international greats. Uh, Canada, sixth out of 24 teams at the World Cup we hosted in 2015. Bronze medals in the last two Olympics. So the women's team has, has come a long way. The men's team, I mean, we're still waiting. We're, we're still waiting for them to take a jump. And again, one of our most famous soccer results, maybe the most famous, is a tie in a game that didn't actually count. We got eight years to get better as we bring Bob Stoffer into the show. Because, Bob, I don't want Canada playing their two pool games in 2026 and losing by a combined 9 0 result. And that's all we've ever done internationally. We'll see if we can get there. Are you saying that the 1986 team that didn't score a goal in their pool uh, didn't get it done for Canada? Uh, that 94 game, as legend had it, the Brazilians were out going pretty hard the night before. And as you know, Brazil would ultimately go on and win the World Cup that year. So. Uh, you know, they had, a, they had a pretty good squad. And, you know, even Brazil's going through a bit of an identity crisis because they haven't won it since 
2002. And when uh, you're talking about Brazil, that's kind of, you know, they play that beautiful game, uh, though I would say they've been a little bit lost in that regard in the last two World Cups <laughs> stretches. But uh, anyhow, it's been a it's been a remarkable tournament. And if there's one thing that Canada can sort of pin its hopes to, it's, it's to look at what happened with Russia. Because they were really, uh, you know, considered to be a non-factor at the start of the tournament. Ended up having a heck of a tournament before ultimately losing to Croatia in the shootout. And, uh, you know, it's funny when you talk about Russia, Reed, because we're going to talk a bit about why England lost today. In the 60s, Russia was one of the first soccer programs to really press and to have a high press or to attack and try to create turnovers. And there's, you know, there's been other countries that have learned from that at different stages. Italy sort of reverted to a more of a defensive style in the 70s, and that's why they had some of their success. Um, and if you watch the game today, England uh, really, in my mind, got, I, I hate to say it, but they got out, certainly got outplayed uh, in the midfield, and they got outmanaged, and they had that game taken away from them. And part of it was they reverted back to how England used to play before the Premier League was around. So we're going back to the 1980s. They kicked the ball along try to chase and run under it and create and uh, they didn't there was a disconnect and their midfield got completely outplayed and full marks for Croatia I know you're going to have a you're going to have somebody on from uh, the local Croatian community is that right absolutely uh Niko Jankovic former U of A Golden Bear soccer player from the Edmonton Croatia soccer club that's probably party central today <laughs> well I used to have these conversations with Len Vickery all the time uh, Niko's coach at the U of A when I was the SID back 2000-2008 why wasn't England better and one of his philosophies was, you know, part of it had to do with the weather and the wind because they, they didn't have the individual ball skills to create play. This is, this is Len talking. Uh, uh-huh. I think it's been more of a mental approach. And I actually think that right now the most exciting soccer being played by, uh, you know, by a club side on the planet is Liverpool. And, you know, and they, they play what's known as the, it's called uh, the Gagan Press, which is Jurgen Klopp who brought it over from Borussia Dortmund. And you can ask... Uh, your guest about it just in terms of that pressure game and, and how you know you and, and ultimately you know there's a lot of comparables between hockey and soccer and some of and i'm telling you this some of the approaches that have been deployed in soccer have translated over to hockey at times because in europe you know the best athletes play soccer growing up and in, here in canada the best athletes play hockey but often have a bit of a soccer background so I, I did you how much did you see the full game today? Well, here here's the funny thing, Bob. I, I watched uh I missed the the winning goal live because I was driving to work. I finally couldn't hold out any longer. But yeah, I saw it. And I mean, I almost went and I asked Craig this and I, I you know, he's the ex player, so I got to res- respect his opinion, but I mean, was ultimately was England hurt by scoring early? Because that change like in a game like soccer where you might win 1-0, that could change everything because there there wasn't enough initiation from them and 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 Craig also said that Croatia showed their character that they showed oh, yeah. they they weren't going to go down fight I mean twentieth ranked team going into the tournament and they're going up against number seven in the final so I mean sometimes that you know Rob Brown uses the word belief all the time sometimes well, that can put you over the top Reed I mean think about where I mean that country's been you know part of a, a splintered uh, bigger country obviously in terms of Yugoslavia. They've been overachievers for a while. They made that remarkable run when they had guys like Sucre back in 98, and that was electrifying in France winning that year. But their players, you know, play with some of the best club sides around the world. That entire English team is all from, uh, you know, the Premier League in England. But you, you contrast that with, you know, just, just look at the midfield. You know, Luka Modric and 
uh, Rakitic playing respectively for Real Madrid and Barcelona. Those are the two most expensive teams on the planet, and they're in the midfield as starters on those two teams. So I think that uh, I was surprised. Like, watching the game, you could see it being taken away from me. And it was frustrating. I'll be honest. I wanted to see England win. All due respect to Croatia, it's been a wonderful story. A little bit of an underdog, but I don't know how much of an underdog they really were. Uh, they can obviously take a punch. But I just think that, you know, England missed opportunity. I mean, name it, you know, Netherlands and Italy didn't make it. Germany's out. You know, Brazil and Argentina. Argentina's long been the bane of English existence uh, internationally at times in, in the World Cup. Uh, you know, going back to 1998 as an example, when Beckham got red carded right out of the game. And you just kind of, it, it was kind of now or never for England. I and mean, frankly, it was kind of like that for Belgium. And the irony is, you know who I took at the start of the tournament. And I just look at how good France is. and You know, it's hockey's got a smaller international pool of countries that are really good. Oh, sure. And we have a lot of similarities between across between France and Germany because we're still producing terrific elite players. But then we can back that up with sort of the, exp- the expectation and the technical uh, abilities that the Germans have with some of the brilliant individual skill that the French have. And that's part of the reason why we're the dominant country right now internationally in hockey is because we've allowed our game to grow, and now we plan the attack. Now we press the other countries and create turnovers and go for it because we, we can do that because we've got the elite-level players to uh, succeed. Yeah, and you got the elite-level goaltenders back there to bail you out if it doesn't work. So it all it all feeds on each other. And I, mean, I know it's one of your, your your favorite sayings, and I think it's appropriate every time you use it. In Canada, the best players play hockey. In the United States, it's probably football and and basketball, probably even ahead of baseball now. And but the but the, like literally the wet rest of the world is soccer, right? So that, well, Reed, you're around. You're in the Oilers' room. You want to strike up a conversation with guys. Any of the European uh, players, I mean, they'll talk to you all day about who their favorite club site is over in, uh, you know, oh, over in Europe. Yeah. You know, they, lo- they love talking about it. And then for the Canadian guys, you know, it's, it's, it's foot for a large part, it's football. So there's, there's, that's, a, that's a way for a guy who's around a team on a day-to-day basis to have a conversation that doesn't have to be about, the, in, you know, the nuts and bolts of why a team has, in case the last year's letters under achieved. But I will say this, as I watched England lose, uh, as that game wore on today, it reminded me a bit of what happened to the Oilers in Game 7 against Anaheim two years ago. Oh, wait, well, just, what? Same scoring format, right? Early goal, and then you yeah. get outplayed bad. Yeah. Just didn't think that the Oilers were creating enough and weren't making enough happen. And I, you know what? When they got, when they got behind 2-1 on the Nick Ritchie goal, I was like, I don't see them getting out of it. And I looked at it and said, maybe they're not ready. And maybe that, too, is a metaphor for England. Maybe England will learn from this to be better because they got a lot of really good young players that got a lot of experience. But there's a France, you know, that's a whole different uh, juggernaut they're going to have to overcome. And, again, you're not going to see Germany, Italy, and Netherlands crash out. And, that, that you know, in the case of the Oilers, it's, now you got to worry about Winnipeg. So, there's, well, you know, there's, I'm going to be really intrigued to see how much ground the Oilers make back up this year. I'm expecting them to do that, but I like to see my teams attack. That's why I always love the Golden Bears, because they went after teams, and people say there's a mismatch in terms of talent, but that's part of the reason why they were so excited in hockey over the last 40-plus years. Hey, Claire Drake was gig in the 1960s. 
Bob, you're, you're hitting on a lot of stuff here. Uh, so I, I gotta I gotta get yep. to some notes that have popped into my head as as you've been saying this. I I love what you reference about our, our English soccer players hurt by the weather because they play in wind and rain a lot, so the the ball skills and the creativity they learn is different. Well, that's Len Vickery. Yeah, Blaine right, Vickery. right. That that was Len's theory, which I I think that's that's an interesting discussion point. Canadian uh, probably sports in general, even hockey to some extent, is hurt by geography because we're a massive country. Certainly, our summer sports are are hurt by the weather. Because you're not playing. If you could be the best soccer player in northern Alberta, you got to go inside five months of the year, which is a totally different game. And you know, it's interesting. I'm going to tie in the brick tournament to this too. Uh, do you see the two teams were in the final? We're both GTA teams. A lot more yeah. condensed. They don't have to travel as much to play each other, and uh, you know, the competition feeds on each other, and the players get better as a result. I just thought that was interesting. They've got the best league read. Right now, the OHL's got the best league. They're producing the best high-end players. You'll have one-offs. I mean, this is a good year coming up in the Western Hockey League. And after a terrible year, I mean, there was only two Western Hockey League players to go in the first round of the draft, right? Ty Smith and the uh, Alexander Andreoff kid that played for Red Deer for Brent Sutter. This year, there could be six or seven kids from the WHL, including two or three kids going maybe in the top ten. But definitely, the brick has showed us been a long time since Edmonton's had a championship. In fact, I'm thinking all the way back. I could be wrong here, but I, for some reason, I thought it was all the way back to Jay Bobies. Uh, it well, you know what, Andy? I uh, had Andy Wakeson on the show the other night. I think this was their first playoff appearance in at least five or six years, like just to make yeah. the final six. So yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's it's they're taking a pocket knife to a gunfight given the depth. I mean, you have a the Ontario Hockey League has. One team for every 675,000 people in Ontario, and they get better American players than the Western Hockey League does. And the Western Hockey League's got one team for every 475,000 people out west. So it's, you know, it is absolutely a factor. But saying that, we still do a great job in terms of developing young players at the youngest ages, getting them steered in the right direction, and having a lot of competitive depth, which is why for the Holinka Tournament, Canada can dominate, and why whenever it's best on best, my theory is, Reed, we always have a 50% chance to win. Oh, sure. Nobody can say that in international soccer. Yeah, no, but you, you referenced it. There's about, uh, in any given hockey tournament, there are four to eight dangerous teams, right? In the World Cup, I mean, it's, it's a little different, right? I mean, like you said, Russia ranked 70th in the world, pushes through to the quarterfinals. So, but you're, you're right. In a year in which there were, you know, two really good teams in Italy and Netherlands. You know, Netherlands were a dominant side that's never been able to ultimately win the World Cup. They won one Euro. But you're, you're looking at countries, you know, Netherlands, offense and flair, Italy, defense. They weren't even there. That's part of the reason why I think Russia accomplished what they did. And that's what I mean. I mean, that's why countries like Belgium and England have got to be kicking themselves right now because it was there to go get, and they didn't get her done. All right, quickly, Bob. This this was fun. We didn't talk a, a lot of Oilers stuff. You do that every day from noon to two here on six thirty, Chad. And uh, we had we had uh, Mike Benavides on from the Eskimos uh, earlier. Uh, James texted in earlier. He said, uh, "Reed, I need to know Stoffer's pick for the World Cup final, and I'll take the other team." <laughs> well, I took France at the start on June thirteenth, so I'm not moving off France. And you know what? I might not be moving off France in twenty twenty two when they play in Qatar. But I'll tell you one country I won't be t- playing, uh, taking that year, 
Qatar. Yeah. I'll have no chance. Yeah, where are they going to be ranked? And it's going to be like plus 45 Celsius for the games. Uh, Bob, thanks for checking in. I always appreciate your time. This is always fun, buddy. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to look forward to you know hearing the excitement and the voice of a terrific uh, Croatian local player coming up. Do you know, do you know him? Uh, when did he play? I think I he was after you. I think he yeah. finished in 13 or 14. Yeah, I, the guys I knew were like Kurt Bosch and right. the sort of guys that were, you know, pre, I mean, geez, going back, I mean, uh, Justin Fashion worked with that program at one time. And so, I mean, there were some lens had, given the fact that they're not, uh, you know, out in BC where the weather worked to their advantage, the fact that I think Lens won three national championships, you can ask your guest. Uh, it's been a pretty good accomplishment, all things considered. He's coming up 745, Bob, if you're near your radio or your phone, buddy. Thanks for sure, checking buddy. in. Yep, bye-bye. Bob Stoffer, host of Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer every day, noon to 2, right here on 630. Uh, he, I, I, I got to hand it to Bob. He knows much more about international soccer than I do. I get interested in the World Cup and uh, and Euro. He watches you know Champions League and, and some of the stuff coming to the Premier League. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's pretty interested in this, and he did pick France. Right off the top, right off the top of the tournament. And uh, as Craig Forrest said, he considers them strong favorites going into Sunday's match. We're going to take a quick timeout. It is 722. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Always uh, fun to have Bob Stoffer checking in on the show, and James has indeed texted back. Thank you, Bob. I'm putting a toonie on Croatia. Uh, another texter says, hey, Reed, Bob is absolutely crazy. No one plays more entertaining footy than Manchester City. Miles better than Liverpool. Sam G says, uh, man, I totally agree with Bob. England missed out on a uh, window to play in the final since all the other superpowers were out. Oil 10 texting in. Uh, still stinging from the game on Saturday. How did the Eskimos lose? Saw the stats. No run game, but Riley threw for 370 yards. That was more than the Argos' total offense. 17 points with over 400 yards of offense. That's pretty low. Well, Oil 10, I mean, you probably watched the game, or or maybe you missed it and are just catching up and looking at the stats. The Eskimos started poorly. They, they'd run one offensive play and were down 12-0. They started picking the Argos D apart, and uh, they couldn't finish the drives. They had a couple penalties in the red zone that drove them back. Uh, White missed a field goal that went for a rouge, a field goal he usually makes. They had a couple other times they got close, had to, had to settle for a kick. Uh, they had a pick in the end zone. Walker fell down on that funny turf there in Toronto where it goes from natural grass to artificial grass right on the goal line, and uh, the Oilers were, or the Eskimos were worried about that, and it came up and, and bit them. And then when they finally went ahead, uh, it wasn't by enough, and the Argos put one good drive together late, and that was it. So that's what happened, uh, Oil 10. Too many missed opportunities, too many mistakes. Uh, the Eskimos were mad. Like, they were really mad. And they feel they gave it away, and I, I think they have a, a pretty fair argument there. So uh, they'll try to get back at it Friday night. 5.30 countdown to kickoff. 7 o'clock start of the game. Eskimos and Argos here on 6.30 Chet. All right, uh, 7-0 now. The Braves leading the Blue Jays. Uh, you heard Bob teeing it up. We will have Niko Jankovic on the show, former U of A Golden Bear, Edmonton Croatia Soccer Club Vice President. How's he feeling? Must be feeling great. And we'll also check in with Kevin Blankhorn, uh, one of those long drive competitors that can mash it over 400 yards. We'll get his story when we get back.
listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right. Last night on the show, we had a really cool golf segment. Uh, we talked about Pine Ridge Golf Resort out by Suba Beach. They expanded from 9 to 12 holes and not in the process of going to 18 holes. They are sticking with 12 and uh, I, I, I know we had the owner of the uh, course on who said there's a few other 12-hole courses in North America, not a lot. I wonder if we're going to see more of that. I mean, there is some concern about getting uh, the recreational golfer out there, trying to play around in three hours or less. That's tough to do for 18 holes unless you go out really early. So clearly the expense and the time commitment is uh, is a concern for a lot of golfers. Wish Pine Ridge all the best. That is pretty cool what they're doing. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimo. Radio 630 Chet. We'll continue with the golf theme. Uh, slightly different variety of the sport, I, 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 I suppose. Kevin Blankhorn checking in tonight. Kevin, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Good. Yourself? I'm doing very well. It, it's great to have you on the show. It was nice to, to meet you over the phone a couple days ago because I, I was uh, I was reading stuff about you. And you do uh, long drive, so you're one of those guys that can absolutely mash the ball. Do you? Do you what is your record for your personal longest drive? My personal longest competition is uh, 463 yards down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, my God. <laughs> so 463 yards. Yeah. I mean, it was a bit wind-aided, um, but I still hit it pretty good. But, you know, there's nobody on the planet that's going to hit the ball 463 yards without a little bit of wind behind them. I don't care what they say. Okay. So still pretty impressive. And, and it has to go. Uh, it has to go relatively straight, right? I mean, it can't be a shanked shot. No, where we you, normally on average the the grids we hit in fairways, whatever you want to call it, are about fifty yards wide, and the ball has to it has to land in play and it has to stay in play to count. It can't, you know, hit a cart path and bounce back in, or hit a tree and bounce back in. If it if it if it's out of bounds at any time, it, it the ball is out of play. Amazing. All right. Well, that's that's awesome. You hit that. I want I want to get your backstory for this. What got you? Uh, into long drive, and I know we talked a little bit off the air the other day because it's it's golf, but it's different than going out and, and and playing around a golf. So, what led you into the long drive? Well, I've always, I mean, my whole life, I was a hockey player and a baseball player, and I always had a, you know, I always shot the puck as hard as I could and threw the baseball as hard as I could and swung the bat as hard as I could. So, you know, I've always been an extreme athlete, I guess you could say, and most of the long drive guys are the same way. Um, so I was just golfing one day uh, down at uh, Eagle Rock and just went out by myself and got uh, met up with a guy. And he was actually uh, one of the sports reporters from the local TV station. And, and I hit a few pretty good. And he said, uh, you should go in one of those Remax competitions. I'd never really heard much about it. So I researched a little bit and I saw that Jason Zubak from then at that time, Drayton Valley, was the reigning world champion. Uh-huh. I said, uh, well, if you know if another Albertan can do it, you know why not? So it was at the Ravencrest Golf Course, and I went there in 1999, and with a stock tailor-made burner, I think at the time, and finished third out of about 40 or 50 guys, and that was the, the start of my journey 20 years ago. Amazing stuff! So uh, you've kept going, you've kept going since then. What kind of because I, I know when a lot of people who maybe aren't uh, you know immersed in golf or, or play not a lot or, or 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 very rarely they hear long drive and they probably think about like those the, you know the big Bertha drivers or the huge heads like is that still what the long drive competitors are using or how would you describe the driver that you use? 
the biggest difference, I guess, from ours or to a stock driver is a lot of, most of us use very low lofted clubs. Um, some guys are as low as one degree. Now a putter is four degrees, so you can imagine how flat that is. Um, there are the one degree drivers? Yeah, custom made. Jeez, oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> but, yeah, but the size of the heads are the same size. Like the maximum USGA size limit is 460 cc's, which is the same as the, all the tailor maids and the majority of the clubs that you would buy at any golf store. Most of them are, are maximum size just for maximum distance. Like I say, the biggest difference for us is we hit low lofted clubs because we're trying to hit the club on the upswing and we swing as fast as we can. And if we hit with too high of a loft, we're just going to hit the ball too high and put too much backspin on it. So that's why we hit low lofted clubs. Okay, fascinating stuff. So when you give, – give us a sense of what your swing looks like, if you can describe it for the listeners. Like, is it – would it look like it's um, like a huge, like, massive velocity swing, or, or is there – I guess let me put it this way, and, and, I, and I hope you understand why I'm just going to simplify the question – because you have to hit the ball straight. But if someone were to see you swing in a long drive competition, would it look almost like it's on the edge of being out of control when you swing that hard? Not mine. No. no okay. I'm, well, I just turned 49, so I'm actually trying to get my swing a little bit longer. I, I guess if you had to compare my swing, it would probably be more like a, a John Rom. I don't get, I don't even get the parallel. Now, there are lots of guys that that's what you'd look at them and say, like, how is his back not broken? Uh, Mitch Grassing from Ontario, who finished second in the world last year, when he's on his when he's on his backswing, the club is actually comes past the ball on his backswing. Oh, he goes geez. he goes that far that far by in his backswing, but I can't control the ball that way. I can't control my uh, my flight, so I have a bit of a shorter swing. Most of my speed is you know from the probably from the shoulders down. All right, uh, Kevin Blankhorn joining us on Inside Sports. So you won the uh, Clash in the Canyon earlier this year, the Masters Division. Yeah. And you're a two-time runner-up in, in the Worlds, right, in the Masters Division? Two times in the world, in the Masters and once in the Open. Okay, and uh, so what is the Masters? Is that 45-plus? 45 and over, yeah. 45 and over. As long as you're 45 the day of the competition, you can, you're eligible to compete. You can go in. Is it Fort Sask you're living in or near? I live in Fort Sask, yeah. You live in Fort Sask. So when you, how, how often do you practice, and where will you go where you can actually hit these long drives without, you know, hitting somebody or being obtrusive to other people? Well, I do all my outdoor practicing at the Bear, at Northern Bear. Okay. Um, and they've been great to me the last few years. I, I go out there, and they don't charge me for balls, and the range is long enough. And, you know, hopefully I don't put any onto the, onto the fairway, number one. Uh, but this year I've been doing a lot of my practicing indoors at uh, DeBoer's Golf. I work for PCL, so I'm right across the street. So for me, I'm not so much right now worried about my ball flight. I, I can control my ball flight. My biggest concern is ball is my spin. So I'm actually, we probably as long drive competitors have a lot smaller sweet spot for hitting the ball than a PGA pro because um, we swing so hard. And most people would think that you'd want to hit the driver dead center right on the middle well we actually want to hit it about three-eighths above center because that's your best optimized spin um but the drivers i have i've hit them so much i i hit for a crank crank golf and the new heads they come out that i know that if i'm about three-eighths below center it's about 2700 spin and if i'm dead center it's about 23 and if about three-eighths above center it's about 17 to 1800 which is what i want oh because you, you want as, as little backspin as possible 
Well, you can't have too little bit, or it'll, it'll act like a knuckleball and just fall out of the air. You need okay. So about sixteen to nineteen hundred is perfect for long drive. With the PGA guys, they're optimized. They they're at about twenty one hundred, twenty two, right around there. But for us, where we're strictly for speed, we're trying to get, we're trying to match our launch angles with our spin rates, so that we're not hitting it too high. But you want to get the carry, but you also want to get roll. And the only way you're going to get roll is if you have your spin optimized. See, the, the the science of this is fascinating to me, Kevin, because I, I think like it's like long drives a lot more technical than it looks. I know a lot of people that say, well, those are those guys that just wind up and, and take huge swings, but you're worried about all these little minute details, which is pretty cool. Um, is it, will, will you still go out and play a quote-unquote regular round of golf? And if you do, can that be disruptive to your long drive swing to go back and forth? Yeah, this year, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm 49, so I only have a few years left, probably. Um, so I haven't been playing a whole lot of golf because I don't swing my irons full either. So if I'm out playing golf or swinging irons a lot, my swing starts to get shorter, and I don't even get the club set at the top. So I've kind of set the the golfing off to the side, and you know, and put a couple more years in a concentrate on long drive. I got a, a few years left in the body, I think, and then I'll probably go the complete other way and play regular golf and not worrying about trying to hit it as far as I humanly can. Kevin, when's your next event? I actually just found out there's a little one in Elk Point uh, this weekend. I'm going to go to if it's not raining. And then uh, the World Championships in in, uh, Thackerville, Oklahoma, on the Oklahoma-Texas border on Labor Day weekend. So I'll be hitting in both divisions down there this year. So it'll be a lot of hitting. So I've got seven weeks to get in swing shape, as we call it. And I was looking at your profile on worldlongdrive.com. You're a big guy. I'm assuming this is accurate. 6'5", about 230. Um, uh, in my thinner days, yeah. Okay, <laughs> but, but you're, you're, you're still a big, you're a tall guy. Are there yeah. any, like, little guys in long drive where you'd be like, because, like, Sadlowski's not that big, right? Sadlowski's a freak. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Plain and simple. Jamie was, no question about it, pound for pound, the longest person in the, uh, in my opinion, the longest hitter that's ever lived, pound for pound, in golf. Uh, there's a few guys that are on the smaller, but I, I checked all the sizes about, oh, eight years ago. They had everybody's height and weight listed, and it was six foot four, 240 pounds was the average height and weight for long drivers. Oh, wow, okay. So you're right uh, in there then. All right. That's, yeah, that's... and there's some big, there's some big, big guys. And, uh, yeah, it's a, when Jamie came onto the scene, it was he was just a – he was a freak. I was, I was actually at the St. Edward Trail driving range the first time Jamie ever showed up as a junior, and he was 14 years old. He weighed 120 pounds, and he hit 387 yards. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's what we said too. Who is this kid? Well, I can hit it 387 yards after two good shots. So, yeah. you know. You're just sad about like I say a lot of guys you're just standing too close to the ball after you hit it. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for telling your story. Well we'll have to keep in touch. I, you know, we'll follow how you're doing and I wish you all the best and thanks for giving us insight into into all the finer details of long drive. That's pretty cool. Thanks for making time for us. Right on. If anybody's interested, they can check it all out on the golf channel. Oh yeah, good point. And when worldlongdrive.com too has everything, right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. See you, Kevin. All right, thanks, bud.
That is Kevin Blankhorn on Inside Sports tonight. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's done well. He got into it about 20 years ago. Uh, two-time runner-up in the Masters Division, World Long Drive Championship, and uh, 2002, he was the runner-up in uh, in the Open Division. So he's done pretty well, and he told you he's gearing up for a couple uh, events coming up this summer and fall. Great stuff. Inside Sports on Ched. The Edmonton-Croatian community, no doubt, partying over the big World Cup victory. We'll talk to one of them when we get back. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Yeah, that stat was right from a text earlier tonight. Mike Riley, 370 yards passing against the Argos on Saturday, and the Eskimos lose. Number 13 and the Green and Gold will try to bounce back Friday night. We'll have it for you on 630 Chet. The game's going to start at 7, but we'll sign on from the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium at 5.30. All right, so uh, the big result today in extra time, Croatia to England 1, Croatia off to the World Cup final. I'm pleased to welcome to the show the Vice President of the Edmonton Croatia Soccer Club, Niko Jankovic. Niko, my first question is a simple one. Am I saying your name correctly? Yo, that's, that's as better uh, than I can say it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good thank stuff. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for checking in tonight. Uh, l- let's find out a little bit about you first. You you played for the U of A Golden Bears. I did. Yeah. I um, in 2012, um, I entered as a rookie, and uh, I played yeah three four years, and graduated in 20, uh, 2017. Yeah. How how was the team while you were there? Oh, there was a lot of great players. Um, in Edmonton, there were a lot of great soccer players, and it was a, yeah, it was a great experience to play with a lot of great players. And in two, uh, 2016, um, the team managed to win the national championship. So, if anyone's looking for some good soccer in the city, that's a great place to start. Well, excellent stuff. And uh, you, you have yeah. a such a great, you know, sports school as as well as being a leader in a lot of other areas as well. What was soccer uh, always your uh, your sport of choice? Was it something you? Uh, sort of emerged as, uh, as the sport maybe you were the best at as you got into your teens? What can you tell us there? Uh, well, growing up, I played a few sports. My parents kind of threw me into anything that kept me active, so I did a bit of hockey. Um, but pretty early on, um, I, I kind of realized I, you know, soccer was my favorite sport. So probably from um, grade three, grade four onwards, I was pretty much only playing soccer apart from maybe cross country or junior high volleyball but uh yeah it's pretty i was pretty focused at it pretty early okay and now you've graduated the u of a uh you got a degree in engineering yes yeah um i work as a structural engineer now okay good stuff and you're the vice president of the uh, edmonton croatia soccer club uh so how'd you enjoy the game today <laughs> oh i'm pretty speechless after that um yeah, well, it was something else. Okay, well, so when when Croatia gives up the early goal, and, and I know it was fifth minute, so there's tons of time left, but, you know, as a fan, were you thinking, oh, no, what if it gets out of hand? Like, give, give me your thought process oh, when England struck early. Well, I just thought, oh, it's going to be one of these games where, you know, like, there was a beautiful goal, and you think, okay, well, you know, if everything they're hitting is, you know, turning into gold, this is going to be a long game, but... um in the first half, England was, I would say, the stronger team. But as the game kept going, we kind of got more comfortable. And um, you could definitely see the Croatian players really imposing themselves as the game uh, game wore on. How? What were your expectations for Croatia going into this tournament, Nico? Um, it's, it's tough because if you look at it one way, 
Um, Croatia is a smaller country. The, our population is maybe four and a half million. So um, I would say coming into the tournament, I was pretty humble. We haven't made it out of the group stage since 1998 when we did make it all the way to the semifinals and won, won the bronze medal. But if you look at the team on paper, there's a lot of skilled players playing in the top clubs in Europe. So um, I was hoping we would at least get out of the group, to be honest. And so, I mean, the fact that we've made it to the final has exceeded all my expectations. But um, I'm also not too surprised in another way, too, because um, there's a lot of talented players. And and they've really performed. So it, I'm, I'm just very proud of um, well, well, my fellow Croatians. Well, well tell me this. How, how would you describe the, the Croatian style of play? I mean, Bob Stoffer was on with me in the last half hour, and he was talking about, you know, up-tempo type of game, pressure type of game. Would you say that that's what clicked for Croatia, or, or what do you say? Yeah, I would say they're very dynamic. Our strengths, I think, um, if you listen to any of the pundits talk about us before games, is, is our midfield. Um they all, I mean, all, we have probably six or seven midfielders who play for top clubs in Europe. Um, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Inter Milan. Um, and, I mean, we could probably field two midfields that would uh, be some of the best in the competition. And then, um, and then the rest of our team, I mean, we have some other top players and, uh, who just kind of play their role. And uh, I'd say the biggest thing you'll see is it's very possession-based, a lot of passing, um, but we do have some fast players up front. If we need to use, a, use some speed to kind of kick the ball up and break the game away. All right, so did you watch with a bunch of fellow Croatian fans today? And, and if so, what was the celebration like? <laughs> um, well, t- today I uh, managed to get the afternoon off work, so I just watched from home with my family, and it was pretty crazy. Um, but a lot of a lot of people went out to the our Edmonton Croatia Soccer Club facility on the north side, um, just off of Manning, and um, I saw some videos from that, and it looked pretty pretty crazy. So I guess Sunday afternoon is going to be busy there then. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's an early game, but I would not I would not. Uh, be surprised if there's a big turnout. So, look, how, how do you feel going in? I, I mean, I had Craig Forrest on the show, and and he and he said, he, look, he praised Croatia. Praised Croatia. He said they they play like warriors. They have incredible character. But he also said, look, I got to make France the strong favorite for Sunday. How do you handicap the final? Well, it's it's like if you look on paper, you'd say France probably is a stronger team, and I think they they're a really good team and. Um, but in a knockout-style tournament, anything can really happen. And I think Croatia will thrive as the underdog. Um, but I, I'm not going to go ahead and say we're the favorites by any means. France is an excellent team, and I expect them to bring their best. Nico, that's a great answer. I can tell you've been interviewed before. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be careful, right? Hey, yeah. <laughs> thanks Thanks for checking in. Uh, it's great to get your perspective. Uh, you know, this this is a fun tournament to follow, and especially from, uh, you know, hey, we all live in Canada, but everybody's uh, usually from somewhere else, right? So you got that heritage yeah. so you can cheer for somebody. So thanks for letting us know about your experience and your soccer career, and enjoy the game on Sunday. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. That is Niko Jankovic checking in tonight, vice president of the Edmonton Croatia Soccer Club, former Golden Bears soccer player, and as he said, a national champion in uh, 2016. So a good perspective there on Croatia. And yeah, not, not a big country, four and a half million people, and uh, they're right there in the world final. 
fun show tonight. You also heard from World Long Drive competitor Kevin Blankhorn, Oilers now host Bob Stoffer, Eskimos defensive coordinator Mike Benavides, and Craig Forrest, soccer analyst for Sportsnet. You ever miss anything on the show or you just would like to hear something again, sign up for the Inside Sports podcast on iTunes or go to the show page on 630ched.com. All the audio is there. Kellen Kennedy is the studio producer this evening. Dave Campbell is the producer of Inside Sports. Thanks to everybody who listened and texted in tonight. Always a pleasure to bring you the show. My name is Reed Wilkins. Adler is next. Hope you have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.